go. Hey, welcome to an all new episode of The Terror Infamy. We are going to be talking about episode two of season two for The Terror. All the demons are still in hell. I'm your co-host, Jen. And with me tonight is Kinte. Kinte, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here and awesome. looking forward to chopping it up with you. You know, before we even start hashing out sort of the A to Zs about this episode, I have to ask something about uh, last week. We talked a little bit about how the seasons were a bit different, and I was wondering if you noticed uh, sort of as we go forward, <clears throat> do you feel like there is a huge difference now, or does it still feel like, eh, we'll just wait and see what happens? It, well, I mean, it's a huge difference in... It's a huge difference in the fact that the setting and the stakes and like in in those the stakes are different, but they're kind of the same, right? Because it's life or death, and it was life and death in the beginning. Um, it's the same in a lot of ways. There is a hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. There is leadership within our group. Um, there's a supernatural force that's un that's not understood quite yet what's going on um lurking um and there's humans behaving badly so so it's similar and it's similar and different or maybe there's more things similar than there are different <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it so you know one thing i I think you actually might be right, but I think it's a a bit. Uh, of a different kind of reveal um, because of course in the in the first season of the terror we didn't really understand supernatural implications right away right. whereas in this season they really immersed us immediately in something supernatural and it does it's almost a little bit off-putting um, not in a bad way just in a oh hey you know what I need to recalibrate my senses kind of way um, but I was thinking last week about what made the first season so good and that sort of, you know, getting a little bit of uh, ideas to see, will this season be as good? And one of the things that I sort of came up with was the, the introduction of history that we are not privy to is one of those things that it's like, uh, it's a mystery unfolding all by itself. So just removing the supernatural from stuff and just thinking about how the history is unfolding, this season of the terror has such an interesting piece of history to tell that it's it, it almost feels like that is a totally separate and interesting story all by itself like it doesn't even need anything else to it to be super interesting the fact that they add the supernatural on top of it gives us all kinds of different ways to go but i thought back again to the first season of the terror and i feel like it was the same thing that would have been a really interesting story all by itself those two ships disappearing and then you add in the supernatural and all kinds of crazy things begin to happen. But at the core of both of these, and I can see it now even more so with the second episode, 
there are central dramas centering, uh, well, there's, there's central dramas that revolve around a very core cast. And that very core cast, like you said, definitely has a hierarchy. So I, I, I'm going to ask you uh, kind of a hard question this time. Was there anything in this episode that you saw that you thought uh, was sort of a, a bit of a red flag, it, just in terms of the actual story? Because I saw quite a few that I thought were, you know, I, I hope that they're going to be a little bit careful about how they tell the story. Um, one thing that I was kind of making an Asian bad guy, oh. you know, like their friend who basically sold him out, you know, um, who they, you know, they dealt with and they dealt with him rather harshly. Um, I mean, that didn't, I mean, I get, I can't say I know these characters yet, but I feel like I know them and it seemed like that was, that might've been, um, over the top, the way they dealt with them. Um, and, you know, that was kind of, that. I didn't know how to feel about that, that scene. Um, and uh, so that was a kind of a red flag. And um, I don't know if there was necessarily other red flags. I, I'm trying to think, but uh, that one. Well, the one there's, there was there were a few actually that came to mind for me, but okay. one of the biggest was the way that they are treating, uh, the way they're treating the uh, the birth of, um, or the, not even the birth yet, but the way that they're treating the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that is concerning to me is because. I, I don't know if you caught it, but there was this exchange between um, between him and his mom uh, that when they were standing basically in line to get into the first camp. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, and he t he dropped the bomb. And he said, "Right," but the way that he said it was so it it actually sort of made me uh, a little uncomfortable. In the sense that, like, I hope that that's not the way that they're going to glibly go through the rest of the interactions. Because it didn't feel very authentic to me. It felt very, um, I don't even know what the word is. It just didn't feel right. It just felt so wrong. And then the other thing, which I was also really surprised at, because normally this doesn't happen, right? The way that the that they're framing the elders versus the younger generation mm. really has a strong get off my lawn vibe and, <laughs> I, and and you know look i know it's a thing okay so i acknowledge that but from a storytelling perspective wow it's really kind of in your face right and it and again, I, I, um, you know, we're only two episodes in. Who knows what will happen? But those two things combined really sort of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable about where things may be heading. Mm. I hope that things aren't heading in the direction I think that they are. Uh oh. 
but but it, there was something really uh it was like i said red flaggy in my head so okay so one scene that i really want to talk about i mean there a lot happened right we they got uh the the order to move out of uh off of the island they had to leave all their possessions they could only take two suitcases it was a big deal when they get to the first sort of uh um, I guess I would call it as almost a staging area. It was clearly just mucked out stalls. I mean, it was just disgusting. Right. And and to that degree, boy, they really are telling a very compelling story of what it must have been like to be Japanese American and be under this kind of just unbelievable scrutiny and how terrible it is to treat people that way. I mean, wow, it, it really was pretty eye opening. Um, but this, but the next thing that happens is of course the supernatural pieces come back in and uh, the, what I was going to say a little bit ago, but I think there's a nice little segue here is that the, the way that the supernatural tale was told and woven into, uh, the first season of the terror, it was a pretty natural part of the story here it almost feels like we are being told two stories that are running in perhaps parallel lines but i don't know if they're actually meeting yet um they don't like i don't feel the kind of cross that uh that i think i felt in the first season but i'm interested to hear what you think about that and whether you think that those two stories that are running the supernatural story and then the story of the actual internment do you feel like they are really super separate or do you feel like there's enough to sort of propel it forward? You know, it feels like that they want to tell the story of the internment and they're shoehorning supernatural in it, hmm. which, you know what? It's a very important story to be told, you know, but unfortunately I wonder if by that pursuit, are we, you know, maybe like, by doing that, are we not giving the internment enough coverage, you know? Right. You mean like, are we cheapening the actual experience right. of being uh, sort of fully taking in the horror of just being a human being at that time and having to experience that by adding another layer of horror on top of it? Right, right. So, you know, I wonder, though, you know, like, that's the that's the problem, because some people may think that this is just a movie. I mean, uh, not a movie, but a, um, a TV show. And maybe that uh, this isn't necessarily uh, real, you know? I mean, that this is just something they, they did for the the show, you know? So, like, I hope it's understood that th that part is real. Yeah. Part. I, I do think that they, they do run a risk here. Um, I, I don't think that they've crossed over the line yet. And I hope that that doesn't happen because I really am enjoying myself a lot. And I, I do, I find there's a lot of very compelling things happening here, but there is, a, I think a danger and that danger is in a very similar way to uh, a long time ago. I saw somebody that pitched uh, a zombie esque uh, move, uh, a zombie esque idea in the middle of the Holocaust. And right. I thought, 
you know, you don't, you look, you don't need to make it any more terrifying. It was terrifying as it is. And, right. and it almost cheapens the effect. So I think in that similar way, yeah, there is sort of that danger. On the other hand, though, I also think that there is something very interesting happening under the surface here. And that is there, and again, I go back to the generational piece. Clearly, I think we can say uh, Yuko is somehow stalking this, the older group of men and perhaps whatever happened to her or whatever that spirit is doing, that demon, whatever it is. I mean, we, the episode title was All the Demons Are Still in Hell, right? Right. So whatever is happening there, it does feel like, um, it feels like Chester's involvement is because of something perhaps that his dad did or something that all of those men did. Uh, the ice scene was fairly telling. Mm -hmm. and, and that in and of itself has a really, it's very interesting. The, and when I say the, the, the generational piece, when I go back to that, it's that the, the idea that what is happening supernaturally between uh, Chester and and the and the other people and the the I'll just call them the elders because there's a lot of them right but his dad and that group that are right now separated from the others the the reason that I find that that is uh, maybe a compelling piece of uh, fictional narrative to throw into this uh, more historical realism is that sometimes it is really difficult for us to put ourselves in the position of being the other without giving a solid reason for identifying um, whether it's whether it's through that layer of horror or whether it's through something else that we identify with because we simply cannot be the other. Does that right. do you know what I'm Right, right. If you don't understand, yeah, it's hard to sympathize if you don't really, you know, I... I definitely know what it's like to be the other. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, well, but, right. But, but, but certainly you're not Japanese American. And if the, the, I think, but I, but I also think that a lot of people don't even understand what it's like to be the other in any capacity. It's just, you're just not the other. Huh. When you add that layer of, uh, especially Chester, who is clearly, as as American as pretty much any one of us is, the 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 whole idea of him being persecuted both by the spirit world and from sort of his past that isn't even his past; it's his dad's past. There's a, I think there's a connection. There's a bond that gets made there that sort of allows us to be super sympathetic. Right. I, I hope that that sort of makes a little bit more sense. But it, it to me, it's still there are still some pieces that feel like they need to fall into place. And I don't know if this if this episode did a lot to have any of those pieces fall into place. I, I still feel like we're basically trying to play catch up until we get to what is the meat of the story. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree, um, because this this story is basically uh, 
you know, it's one of those the the problem I do have is it doesn't necessarily pull me in. It hasn't pulled me in in yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 wanting to come along for the ride, you know, but it just isn't doing that for me yet. It, it it's funny because again you know the, a little bit like uh the metaphor that they were putting forward with all the men on the ice i, I mean i even posted to our social media group that personally i i was sort of astounded i mean mm. they basically they let that guy stay out on the ice right i mean did they murder him did he actually die yeah that, they were intent it seemed like that's their they were their intent was yeah that's why it kind of was like what you know and 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 so okay and so you know i'm it's not i'm making that exclamation like oh my god did they let him die because i think that they are morally bankrupt i mean is is this belief in the spirit so powerful in the shape-shifting piece is it so powerful that it consumes them so much that they believe that he could be that that they would let him die on the ice and and what does that say about who they are? Because to me, that's huge. Right. Yeah, it's very huge. And it and it also lets you, I mean, it just seems like it it just seems like that it was over the top for them. Um because I believe me, there were some other people that I would have totally been like, they should do that too, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know uh, that the the guy that the, that died in the first episode—that's who they should have left on the ice. To be honest with you, but but doesn't but doesn't it? Uh, and see, th- this is why I bring it up, right? I bring it up because I feel like maybe it wasn't as uh, as strongly pronounced that that what was what was happening there was the supernatural belief, the belief that there was some shape shifting element among them was so powerful that that mm-hmm. they would have their own eyes be deceived right in front of them. Right. That to me says something a lot bigger than oh I just think maybe you're possessed or you know something sort of offhand the the idea that you would let someone die not knowing whether they truly were or weren't and I mean basically they're saying well let the ice decide, right? Mm. I mean that's I felt like that was a really very heavy moment. In fact, it was one of the it was one of the moments that stood out the most for me narratively of this entire episode. I, my mind keeps going back to it again and again. So, mm-hmm. just as a as a as another sort of follow up to uh, where Chester is in his own personal journey. What did you think about uh, his running away and trying to hide? What I think about Chester running away and trying to and, hide? And trying to hide. You know, they were uh, apparently they were going to try to escape. And so they went to his professor's house and they were going to try to make some kind of play. But then clearly the next door neighbor said, oh, you know, I see something kind of going on here. And she, what, called the FBI? Hmm. You know, um, it's funny. Though. I mean, I I didn't think of it that deeply. You know, I just saw it as, you know, he's trying to uh, 
So you're asking me what I think about him, about his efforts into trying to hide? Yeah, I mean, do, do you think that he's trying to actually run away from the situation? Or do you think that this was so incredibly... Uh, because to my mind, what I see mm -hmm. is that it was very whimsical of him to think that he could escape. It also speaks, I think, to the lack of gravity that he has for what's really happening, that that this is not something that is sort of all-encompassing. Again, you know, the I, I feel like the narrative is a little bit... Um, thin when it comes to explaining sort of how significant it was that a next door neighbor who was just sweeping on the on the porch would see something and call the FBI to say oh there's a hiding japanese american here that the that level of paranoia from a historical perspective is something that we should none of us should you know we should all understand that that is exactly what was happening and and for chester our protagonist to sort of not grasp that just hiding at his professor's house wasn't going to was it clearly that wasn't going to be enough is sort of I think his naivete I, th I think with him I think that he's bought into the American hype right yes so he he thought he was one of them remember remember his friend he's like we, remember we used to get smashed together and we you know and like he really thought that he was, you know, that he this wasn't um he thought he was part of the crew, <laughs> you know. He doesn't so, see himself as the other. Right. And then this happened, and it's like, oh man, all these things I thought are not true, you know, like you know, these people that I thought were my friends, you know, this country I thought that accepted me, that you know, this happens, and then they totally turn on me, you know. And um I think as this goes along, he starts to come to the realization that, you know, who he is and what, you know, what, how he's viewed in this society. And I mean, to a certain degree, he kind of knew because he would hear, you know, people say derogatory things to him, but some, but I think he didn't realize how deep it was, you know? And so when he heard, when he heard, heard out, I'm sorry, when he heard, uh, hit out. I think he, you know, that was that delusion that he has. Because remember, he was delusional, thinking that they were gonna go on a road trip and with the baby and all of that. Where is his lady? Is much more realistic about what's going on. Yeah, right. Well, and she is the other. Right. She's already the other because we heard her in very narrative uh, expository form tell us what it was like to basically be kind of an outcast her whole life. So she gets it. She totally understands it. Whereas Chester, interestingly enough, who really is the other right now, totally doesn't get it because he's never been the other because he's always been an accepted. Uh, he goes to university. This is his this is his country. And the, just to punctuate that, um, we have a scene at the very sort of beginning of the episode where um, in very harsh, almost noir light we hear a voice saying, um, I'm not a spy. I'm an American. I love this country. Right. And, yeah. And it was, it, that was very profound. I mean, there was something very powerful about that, but, but again, you know, we, there's a pivot point here with what I think is trying to be told, which is, look, this is a very, we're already in crisis mode. Everyone season two episode two is 
we're already in the middle of crisis. But what it feels like narratively is we're still sort of warming up. And I, I, I don't think that that's intentional um, per se. And, and perhaps it, you know, needed a little bit more, um, boy, dare I say whirlwind, you know, something that was a little bit more uh, urgent about what was happening. And, and instead, it sort of feels like episode two is kind of like, well, everybody's just sort of shuffling from place to place. And there's all these things to kind of say and get out. But there wasn't a lot of, uh, hey, you know, here's what's really happening. We're already in the middle of a crisis. I, I think I could pick up on it because I noticed a lot of the smaller, subtler uh, actions that were happening. But I, I I don't know if that is kind of enough to keep people sort of in the middle of it. Now, uh, the, the thing that I think is important to remember is, first of all, we don't know anything about Yuko, right? We right. just know that there is something truly inhuman about what she, they are. We, we just don't know. And so, you know, there we think that it has something to do with the shapeshifters, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't even really understand exactly how to quantify that because we don't have enough of the mythology spoken to us to tell us what that really is. So there's still kind of a long way to go. And I, I get, I am going to guess, just I guess, that the story of who or what Yuko sort of stands for has something to do with the sins of the father being visited on the, on the son. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, or, or maybe even the son and the son's son, you know, right. I, that that's the vibe that I'm getting. What do you think? Yeah. I, you know, I love their parallel story. Like, um, because they're, because of their life experiences that they're in a different place mentally. And so I like the way that they've done that so far to be honest with you. I'm starting to think maybe the first episode should have been extended by a half an hour. Yeah. And they should have put both of these, they should have combined everything to one uh, episode, I think. Because there's, it seems like some of it's like I felt like the first episode should have ended where this one ended. To be honest, and but then again, an hour wouldn't have been long, or forty five minutes, or forty two minutes probably wouldn't have been long enough. So it probably needed to be a little bit longer. You know, one thing that I will say that I think that that, and you know, forgive me for anybody who's. Uh, because I, I hope that this changes. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm definitely not dissing the show, but I do think that it suffers a little bit from lack of structure or at least if not lack of structure, I feel like it is that it's, that it suffers from a lack of coherent organization in terms of where narrative is going to take us. I, I'm, they don't need to reveal everything to me. In fact, I'm really surprised that we had supernatural entity uh, displays from the very beginning. I really didn't expect that. And I was more than willing to wait for that payoff. That would have been totally fine. 
But the idea that we are now two episodes in and and even I don't have a really good read and feel on how things are progressing in a forward direction seems to speak, at least to me, to just sort of a lack of story organization, not a lack of uh, story stuff. There is plenty of story stuff. There is a lot of uh, sort of declarative statements set out by the characters to let us know that this is happening or that's happening or this has happened in the past. But it there isn't enough what I would consider to be uh, show don't tell to get us sort of moving in the direction of we really should like these people a lot. We should we want to be in their world. You know, we want to uh, commiserate and, um, and, and be in the empathetic role of understanding where things are coming from. And to some of that, you know, it's not, it absolutely, I want to be very clear is not because they are Japanese American or because there is something that about the way that they're treating that community that is off-putting. In fact, I one of the statements that I heard from uh, an, somebody else who was kind of reviewing what was happening was that they really didn't like the way that uh, Chester's parents were portrayed as sort of being the uh, the, the the stalwart immigrants, the you know the people who. Uh, could stand up to anything and and basically you know be pushed around and and everything was they were going to take it because you know I didn't like that either yeah but but you know what but I didn't see it that way I didn't see it that way I saw a group of people who were trying very hard a to create any kind of normalcy and b that were trying not to make waves in a situation where there were clearly waves to be made um, that especially Chester's mom, who is without her husband, who doesn't have sort of the support system that perhaps she's been used to all of her life and is is trying to simply make the best out of uh, the best being in quotes out of a really dismal situation. But uh, but I hear it. I mean, I, I do understand that that, you know, that criticism being leveled is definitely a thing. So I'm curious why you think that. Why I think that um, that uh, there's going to be I'm sorry there's um, why, why? I, you know what I I just I see it a lot of you know a uh, an immigrant or black person or something like that where you know not everybody back in the day just took punishment you know what I mean there was a lot of people that stood up and you know traded blows you know mm-hmm. so that's why. It, it is like kind of like okay here we go like you know i mean i'm not saying that so many people did take a lot of abuse and whatnot but but a lot of people though fought back you know and stood up and were made to be respected you know i i, I will say one thing about this episode that and also the prior episode which um which makes me feel very at ease Mm -hmm. from a technical standpoint these past two episodes have been exquisite everything from 
the close in shots where we're really meant to feel a bit of uh, complicated paranoia to the to the scenes where they're out on the ice and it, it is quite honestly visible that there is a a, a lack of color happening mm-hmm. um it it feels very much like a slow descent into you know how when people are in the middle of depression mm-hmm. they say the world doesn't look as colorful as it does when they're not right it has that feel to it. There's something very muted about what's happening. Um, it's it's not apparent in every single scene, but it's enough to give you that feeling that something is coming or something is present. And, and that is, I think, uh, really a mastery over the technical use of, of color. And then the other thing is the the sound in this has been amazing there are very small little details if you have a sound bar and you listen to this there are little tiny details in the sound which are just sort of amazing little things that happen off camera little uh little moments that the the scene on the ice was actually quite good i I mean that was i really felt like i was on the ice I really liked that a lot. Maybe more so than I did even in the terror where they were literally on the ice for the entire <laughs> that whole season, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 there was a sense of peril that I felt when they shot that scene. It, it, it was definitely very transporting. Um, but one one quick thing, which I, I would love to get your take on too, okay. that, that I did also notice is the the as we moved forward into this episode, it became very apparent that that, that somehow these two, the, the two groups, well, actually there's three, but the two groups are very separate, right? We, and we know that the men are in North Dakota or, or South Dakota, North Dakota. North Dakota. North Dakota, okay. So we, so we know that they're very far away. Obviously that's very far away. What we don't know at this point is whether the the, the story is gonna take place in two very separate locations. It would be interesting to me if that is what happens, if the story is taking place in two separate locations and it's the narrative thread is the shapeshifter between them. Mm, I never thought about that. Do you think that that would add anything to it or do you think? Yeah, would- no, that's good. Cause you need a narrative thread. So that'd be a good one. Yeah, no, I like that. And and if there is no sort of reconciliation, and if, I mean, you know, I'm just guessing because I don't know what the actual plot is. But if it really is the sins of the father being visited on the on the son, then the then that narrative piece would become very important because again, if there is no whatever is supposed to happen with the the men in North Dakota, it I I feel like it would be a very interesting piece to sort of try to put together in terms of how does Chester react and how is it different from uh, from the other men? Also, how does Chester react after not being sort of the quote-unquote man of the family? And what does he do to kind of step up? Because running away was not really a great way to say, oh, hey, you know, I got to figure a way out to both protect the family that I'm going to have and the family that I have. You know what I mean? Like that seemed very childish to me. Hmm. 
Well, he is. How old is he? Well, he he's still in college, so he can't be more than 22, 23. Hmm. Well. I mean, and then the times too. People were a lot greener later, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, so there wasn't an innocence. There was no internet. So, <laughs> so uh, um, I guess it kind of it fits with the times. And and I mean, is that a negative to you, or is that just a is that a total negative to you? The way that he is. I I, I don't think it's actually a negative or a positive i think it is a it's a it, it it's an it's a it's a statement about how far chester has to go still um in terms of him being a, a, a boy that it sounds really funny in my head just to formulate that thought but a proper uh man of the family because you know how do you even quantify that but but I think as a protagonist, it's actually nice to see a very malleable protagonist from the very beginning who has almost irrational ideas, you know, stealing his dad's car and uh, or stealing the car back, um, you know, wanting to sort of uh, assert his own presence in the world and then finding out that his presence in the world really doesn't mean anything to anyone right now because... Right is the other so yeah. there's something interesting i think about that sort of journey whereas the men you know the, the the funny thing to me and of course you know the older that i get the more understanding that i have of kind of generational norms and why it sometimes is so difficult for people that are much older to talk to people that are much younger and it, I think it has less to do with the, with the ideas and ideals of people that are younger. And it has more to do with an older generation seeing things in a very specific way that is hard to shake. And, and I think that we saw that very clearly when all the men got together and they were on the ice scene again. There, there is something very specific there was no questioning among them i mean what did he say he said that he hopes the spirits uh what did he say he said um he said it's for the spirits that inhabit this land whoever they are to basically decide whether or not he makes it right right and and that felt very like look this is gen this is a very generational thing you know people that are older get entrenched in uh in sort of whatever the idea is and then that becomes the standard and the norm and people that are younger are still trying to figure it out so the people that are older are less patient with the people that are younger and and this sort of demonstrates it i think pretty uh profoundly but i also think that the experience that they're all going through is is the kind that makes you completely disregard generation because the experience is about to get even worse i think obviously for both groups and suffering transcends generation Right, right, right. And so does the supernatural, 
you know, if you experience a supernatural spirit, it doesn't matter what generation you're in, you're going to experience something terrifying. Hold on a second. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Somebody's trying to call me. I, I, I they already call me during the show. Uh, sorry about that. Um, no, uh, suffering some place. I mean, you know what's funny is about you said suffering is generational. No, and suffering so, knows no generation. Knows no generation. Generational. Right, right. So did, did you get that same feeling? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Definitely. So if so if you could pick something from this episode that sort of stood out in your mind, what do you think it was? Well, definitely the ice the ice um scene. But then uh I did like um I'm so sorry, I can't remember the girlfriend's uh, the the pregnant girlfriend's name. Uh uh Lewis. Lewis, right? Yes. Okay. Um I liked that, that we saw what you know what she did and you know dealing with the kids, of course, and um Yuko as well. Um, I just love how haunting of an image she is. And then remember when um, remember when Chester went back and said it was looking for her, and they were like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> you know, it's like you must have, you know, what I'm saying that was yeah, a good I, thing. I, I thought that that was pretty profound, actually, myself. Who yeah, there there wasn't even a person there by that name. Yeah. So what we had to make of that? You know what I'm saying? Like. But 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 see that it brings up I think uh, and this is why oh boy you know this is why so uh, there there's there's sort of two uh, unfolding pieces that kind of compete with each other right one is you tell the audience kind of everything in sort of uh, narratively unfold things in front of them so that they are kind of in on everything and then you just sort of make it all. Uh, make more sense as you go along. And then there's the, the sort of this other kind of school of storytelling right now where things are very much a mystery until you actually see them. And they might give you some hints here and there, but for the most part, the story itself needs to unwind before you kind of get there. Right. And in this series, and they did it in the last season too, we didn't know what Tunbach was. We didn't know what Tunbach was supposed to be. In a similar way, we have no idea what the shapeshifter is supposed to be. We do not understand at all why its presence is even where it is. Did it show up this time for a specific reason? It, did it choose this moment in history for a specific reason? Mm -hmm. all, all of those things are sort of up in the air. Right? Does yeah. it, and, uh, you know, I don't know, again, it's still so early to tell. So, of course, we don't know. But there is, I think, a, there is a sort of, uh, not danger, but just a um, a bit of a perhaps misstep that they could fall into with and with audiences that are sort of wary of being taken for a ride because we've seen it so often recently where series begin to unravel their secrets and then we find out that the secret was really no secret at all that it was you know just it just i i'm a little bit concerned about that kind of thing because i think that this story is actually really worth telling right it, is. it is very much worth telling it's just i don't know about the uh 
I don't know how I feel about uh, how it's going. I'm hoping that it picks up, you know? I, I think, you know, it's funny. You said it perfectly in the beginning, which is it feels like a historical fiction that they shoehorned uh, some kind of uh, supernatural thread into, uh, or, you know, they, they put a, a piece into it that perhaps it didn't even need. And, and I can't say that I think that that's actually true because I don't know the full extent of the story, right? It could very well be an important piece to this, but, but I do think that there is, uh, that there is an interesting argument to be made that, that they, at least for the two episodes that we've seen, that there are some mitigating circumstances around uh, what is happening here that we're not privy to, at least yet, and that it creates, instead of excitement and, oh my gosh, I want to see what happens next, people scratching their heads going, I don't know what to make of this. Mm. Uh, it feels confusing and I'm not really sure what, what to do. And I noticed that on social media more than anything else. I mean, people on social media are usually really good about picking out pieces that they really like. And the, instead, what I'm hearing a lot of is question marks, question marks, question marks. And, you know, again, maybe this just needs a little bit more time to unfold. We know that the first season of The Terror was a very slow opening. So that could very well be but I don't, I don't personally get the sense of like impending doom for anyone. I don't either. Yeah, that's the thing that, that's the thing that kind of, I, I don't know. It's not working for me. Yeah, remember how they killed Crozier, like you know, within the first couple of episodes, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, I didn't see that coming." Right. I don't get the feel in in this so far that anyone's life is actually in jeopardy mm -hmm. it feels more like uh hmm, okay well we got the supernatural thing we got this uh, yeah everybody is super scared because they are in these internment camps and they're getting moved from place to place and wow how miserable and uh, yes that is a terrible thing and yes it is huge as a story all by itself but it's hard to sort of make sense of what else might be happening that we could hop into in mm -hmm. terms of that horror element. So, so yeah, so the, I, I think we're both actually on the same page with that. I, I, I wanted to ask one more question from you. Well, actually okay. this is sort of a bigger question. Um, and that is in terms of how they are treating uh, the, the relationship between the, I'm going to call them the ancillary characters. I don't know if they are or if they're not, but mm -hmm. how do you feel about some of the, I'll call them secondary characters in, uh, in the tear so far? Um, I don't, I have no connection to any of them, to be honest with you. Um, maybe the only reason why I have one to George Takai is because he's George Takai. If he was played by somebody else, I probably wouldn't care as much. You know, so. Do you think is it is it uh, is it detracting at all, or does it feel like they are? I mean, the one thing that I noticed, which I said even in our last podcast, is 
everybody seems very perfectly cast. Right, I mean, right. The yeah, it's not the casting. It's just that I haven't, nothing's happened for me to get like, oh, okay, you know, like to get, I, there's nobody that I'm, that I'm in love with yet, you know? And, and something else that, again, you know, just basing this off of social media, which I realize is kind of not the greatest bellwether in the world, but at least it's a source. Right. People don't speak about characters. They're not speaking about, you know, a character in general. They're speaking about uh, events. They're mm -hmm. speaking about uh, overall things that are happening and I, it's it, it's very interesting because i know that when we podcasted the last uh season of the terror we were all talking very specifically about crozier we were talking right. specifically about we i mean we we had very specific feelings for a lot of these characters and i don't I, i'm just i i mean not that i don't want to i want to be personally invested i'm wondering though how this is is this actually you how know, are we supposed to approach this well you know i'm gonna be honest with you if you were a big fan of the first season you probably if you i don't know that you would just naturally love this like for example American Horror Story, if you enjoyed the first season, you're probably going to enjoy the second season, even though they're different. You know, I mean, some of the same actors are in it, but they're playing different characters, a different situation. But it has that feel, that anthology feel enough to where it's different, but the same. Same right. thing with Fargo, you know. Um, this one, it feels like it should be a, an, it should be not the terror season two. It should be its own thing. Well, you know, th so th that's what I was trying to get at earlier about the, the the way that the supernatural and obviously it's a shapeshifter. And, you know, we didn't learn a lot of the things in the terror about that shapeshifting demon that is, you know, Tunbok. We didn't really mm -hmm. get a lot of that mythology. And and I wonder if if understanding who what Yuko is may help us to have a more complete understanding of uh of sort of the supernatural element here where we didn't sort of have that so much in the first season and whether that was intentional because of what they did in that season but you're right i mean the 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 there aren't a whole lot of lines between the first season and the second season as an anthology series it it does feel like they are trying very hard to set things up in a similar capacity, but the storytelling is very different. Uh, it's just, I'm, they're just, they, they don't adhere to any of the same even standardizations that, if you could even call it that, that they kind of put into place for themselves in the first season. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? No, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it does feel stark, but it, but so just as an example, right? It, and I'm not a writer for the show, so I can't. I'm. Not, I swear, I'm not trying to take any uh, anything away from what they've already done. But as an example, in my head, the way that I feel like this would have worked a little bit better is if they had not had any of the side trips go on, and right. if they had immediately immersed us in the fact that here's where we are. We are in the middle of the internment situation. Maybe, you know, flash back to the fact that there was 
this is what happened, that they moved from place to place. But put us in the center of the starkness. Put us in the center of, yes, it's desolate and it's bleak and we got a lot going on. And don't give us so many sort of uh, like D&D side quests to go on. <laughs> D &D. They're not going to go anywhere. And we already know that. That's funny. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. You're funny with the D&D &D side quests. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, that would be interesting if you start from the, they're in there and then even through flashbacks kind of get the story of how they got there might be interesting as well. Um, I, you know, I, I think this suffers, this suffers from being the connection to the, the terror. Mm. I think that's where it suffers at, that if this was its own thing. And I think cause it's bound, the story's bound by, it has to have a feel like the first season to some degree. And honestly, I feel like the writers of this one is they don't necessarily want to do that, that they just want, you know, but they're, they're forced to do it because, you know, that's what it is. Well, the, the fan reaction to the first season was pretty phenomenal. It, be, it grew into a really, a, a genuine wave of this is good storytelling. And it, look, it was slow. It, the first couple of episodes of The Terror, they were slow. Uh, people, I know a lot of people who didn't want to watch it because it was too slow in the very yeah, I was kind of, I was on that train too. But, like, they, I, you know. But see, I would, I would feel safe about it if it was a, the, the crew from the last season. But this is a all different crew, so I don't know if, you know. Well, the crew from the last season, unfortunately, is all dead and buried, so they're not. No, 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 no. I mean the crew that that produced and wrote. Oh, it. oh, 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 that. Is that crew. Yeah, God, I hope they're you not. Know, you know, for a minute though, I was like, they died. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh wait, we're talking about two different crews. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that would be some sad news to report. Yeah. <laughs> well, the well, we okay. So we know that a couple of the the writers, we know the lead writers are the same. The, but the, but there, you know, there is a huge difference between adapting a fiction <clears throat> that already has a really strong narrative base to it and adapting a historical era that has a, a very strong reality base to it, but then adding that fiction layer on top of it and then adding the horror layer or a supernatural layer on top of that mm -hmm. is it's a tall order. It's a very tall order. And I, you know, look, the other thing which I just think Bear's mentioning is Dan Simmons is a damn awesome writer. I mean, I don't know if, if any of you all have ever read Dan Simmons, but, you know, to read his work is sometimes to just revel in the written word. It is beautifully, it's just amazing. Is he involved at all in this season? Probably not, huh? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I don't think he should be because this isn't his work. I mean, this isn't this isn't his stuff. But, but you know what, though? I think he should be. He's brilliant. And let's see what he would add to it, you know? I, I Personally, I think this, right? So, And this is what I was hoping was going to happen, but what my 
my guess is that it's not going to happen. What I wanted to sort of see was, okay, so the terror happened, uh, the terror with the uh, Erebus and, um, uh, and the terror, the ships, it happened far in the, in history, right? 17, was it 17, late, late 1700s, early 1800s, mm-hmm. late 1700s. Anyway, right around that time. And so it's been a long time, right? Tunbach apparently is mm, MIA. Mm-hmm. I mean, dead, but it's the spirit of a demon. So we don't really know what happens. And what I was hoping was going to happen was there would be some kind of lateral shift between what happened there and what is happening here. So that the shapeshifter experience was or would be one of uh, familiarity, something that we could sort of identify with, even if it was just on the peripheral edge. But I think that what I said in the in the last episode is really true, which is this is a mythology that we don't have a good handle on. And I don't think that this mythos is something that we're going to be able to sort of grasp in a way that is going to make sense to us if we are looking back at the terror as being any indication at the, the first episode or the first season of the terror. Right. Like I, I'm not seeing those kinds of, I think this is something totally different. And yeah, if, yeah, I, I think there's no connection at all. So, And if it's totally different, then, then there's, there's nothing for us to kind of fall back into. Right. right. So anthology wise it doesn't it 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 doesn't feel familiar at all no yeah that's yeah that's the problem i think with the show we have to wrap up because uh yeah. we have another show we're about to do uh and we're gonna lose that room so uh um how well you can get me at kente f on twitter <laughs> and uh you can give me a kente ferguson on instagram and uh of course the website is indyradio.org how can we get you uh, well, thanks, Kente, for wrapping up the show. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, you didn't get my message. I, I, look, I tried to do it on the low like a while back, and I was like, oh, she must not have seen. <laughs> Apparently not. You know, I don't get the message when I'm super excited about stuff. Oh, okay. You can find me on Twitter at following Bliss One. You can always find me at my website, satcriticallast.com and moviesmakethemeal.com. So until next week, we'll see you soon. All right. Peace. <laughs>